0: That Jesus as a human, if you met him, it would feel like when you meet someone now and it feels like you've known them forever And you have this like really cool connection with them And I mean obviously that would be because he has known us forever But if you didn't know him and you know that he knew that Then it would just feel like this really cool connection like it does now, so yeah. What do you think Jesus was like as a human? I want to talk just a little bit about that today. Carlin gave us her answer. What do you think? What do you think Jesus was like as a human? If you have your Bibles, and I hope you do, I want to invite you to turn with me to uh, Hebrews chapter 2. If you were here last week, uh, Matt led us through Hebrews chapter 1, kicking off this fall study. We're going to work through the book of Hebrews during the fall. If you weren't here last week, just want to invite you to Take a listen to the message um, on the app or uh, on our website. And if there's a way in which we can encourage you um, to sort of dig into the message, it would be for me to invite you to come on Wednesday nights over to Red Rock at 630. There's a small group of people there on Wednesday nights who are just learning how to live out these truths that we're learning about on Sunday mornings. So if that's you and you want to um, figure out how to take another step, just want to invite you to come and participate. I think it's important to mention up front that uh, chapter 2, verse 1, includes the first of five warning passages uh, that show up in the letter to the Hebrews. Five times the writer of the letter is going to issue a warning to the church. And this is the first time. Each time he sort of is writing and then he kind of interrupts himself and he starts to do some old school preaching. Um, There's a a warning he gives and then there's a consequence each time he interrupts. He wants to make sure that the people who are following God don't give up. He wants to make sure that they persevere in their faith. And he warns them about consequences of falling away. And these warnings are not just for that church or those people back then. These truths are for us here today. So I want you to hear this first warning. Hebrews chapter 2, verse 1. We must pay the most careful attention, therefore, to what we have heard, so that, you, so that we do not drift away. So this is the shortest the mildest of all the five. Uh, what's the warning? Okay. Okay, this is not good. <laughs> the whole part here about paying attention. So we're going to pay close attention. We must pay the most close attention. It's a dead giveaway. So the warning is we must pay the most careful attention And the consequence of not paying close attention is is what? Drift. Is drift. So that you will not drift away. I'm not sure that this needs a whole lot of time and attention. You and I both know what it feels like to drift. Lots of reasons. Um, We all know people who have drifted. We all know people who have stopped paying attention. Lots of reasons. None of them knew. The consequence of not paying close attention is drift. And you've seen it and I've seen it. We've seen it in marriages. We've seen it in relationships. We've seen it between parents and their children. We've seen it in friendships. We've seen it in community. We've seen it in this church. Relationship with God, you know, just drift. People who used to pay the most careful attention and are now seemingly disinterested and disengaged. I'm not going anymore. I mean, you know, I don't know. I don't know. It's church. I don't want to overstate this, but is there anything more painful? than someone paying the most careful attention to you. And then over time, they begin to just unhitch their line. And they just sort of float away. Their inner tube just kind of takes off. Nothing dramatic, no big fallout, no big fight. Just little, over time, little steps, next thing you know, just gone. This guy named Dan Wilt talks about Hebrews chapter two, verse one, this way. He says that church's experience two thousand years ago intersects our lives in this way. Drifting is the besetting sin of our day, and as the metaphor suggests, it's not so much intentional as from unconcern. Christians neglect their anchor, Christ. And begin to quietly drift away. There's no friction, no dramatic sense of departure. But when the winds of trouble come, the things of Christ are left far behind, even out of sight. I think we can all resonate. Here are the next couple of verses. Verses 2 through verse 4. For since the message spoken through the angels was binding, and every violation and disobedience received its just punishment, how shall we escape if we ignore so great a salvation? This salvation, which was first announced by the Lord, was confirmed to us by those who heard him, and God also testified to it by signs, wonders, and various miracles, and by gifts of the Holy Spirit, Distributed according to his will. Verse 2 talks about the message spoken through angels. It sort of carries on this Jewish tradition that the law of Moses was given to him by angels, sort of this tradition. That the first five books of the Bible, it's called the Pentateuch, that the law for the people of Israel, the tradition was that angels gave that message to Moses. And those laws were binding on Israel. When someone of Israel disobeyed one of those laws, there were consequences for their disobedience. In fact, in the case of adultery, it was punishable by death according to the law. And so the writer is saying, these next couple of verses, he's saying if that covenant, that first covenant was that serious, Then the new covenant inaugurated by Jesus is even more serious and we need to take it even more seriously since Jesus is greater than the angels. And the writer is saying we cannot turn back from Jesus because the consequences of turning back from Jesus are dire And verse 4 reminds us that God also has given us every reason to believe that our salvation and His coming, ultimate coming, that our salvation is very real in the here and now. God verifies it with miracles that Jesus did while He was on earth. So, one of the really important purposes for the writing of this letter was to address that some of the original Jewish readers of The Hebrews felt inclined to abandon the Christian faith because of Jesus' humanity. So we ask the question when you think about Jesus as a human, what do you think about? The rest of chapter two is going to make this big case for why Jesus came as a human. But you probably saw in the middle of chapter, uh, in the middle of verse one, you probably saw that little line, therefore, we must. Pay the most careful attention, therefore. So that leads us back to what Matt talked about last week in chapter 1. If you read chapter 1, there are no commands for their church. There are no actions. There are no like, big call for us to do anything. Chapter 1 is just just this big declaration and celebration of who God is. God's final word given to the world in the person of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. The chapter begins this way. Uh, The book begins this way. God, after he spoke long ago to the fathers and the prophets in many portions and in many ways, in these last days, he has spoken to us in his son. This is the whole point of chapter one. God's doing something amazing, utterly stupendous. It happened in the coming of the son of God. Chapter one uh, kind of stresses the deity of Jesus. Because the Jews failed to appreciate that. And so now here in chapter 2, there's going to be some attention paid to the humanity of Jesus as well as the deity of Jesus. So, verse 5, "...it's not to angels that he has subjected the world to come, about which we are speaking, but there is a place where someone has testified, what is mankind that you are mindful of them, a son of man that you may care for him." Uh, it, this is a quote from Psalm chapter 8, verses 4 through 6. What is mankind that you are mindful of them, a son that you care for him? You made them a little lower than the angels. You crowned them with glory and honor and put everything under their feet. Beginning of this chapter, the writer is saying, we've got to pay close attention But here he's saying, we've got to pay close attention to Jesus. In putting everything under them, God left nothing that is not subject to them. Yet at present, we do not see everything subject to them. So then he's going to write this. But we do see Jesus, who was made lower than the angels for a little while, now crowned with glory and honor because he suffered death, so that by grace, by the grace of God, he might Taste death for everyone. We got to stop here for just a second. We can't blow by this. This is huge. This is amazing. We do see Jesus who suffered death so that by the grace of God, he might taste death for everyone. It's incredible. We spend a lot of time, and I think rightly so, we spend a lot of time around here talking about suffering, talk about the suffering in our world. Talk about the suffering in our neighborhood, suffering in nations. We spend a lot of time honoring the suffering that has happened in our own lives, in our own story. We share our sufferings with one another. And I think that's really important. But here, the writer is saying we must pay the most careful attention to the suffering of Jesus. The suffering of Jesus is central to our understanding of God. Jesus came in the flesh and he suffered all these things for people who suffer in the flesh. He does this so that we can go with him to the cross and we can participate in his brokenness, in the brokenness of life, so that we can enter into the resurrection of Jesus and be a part of that on the other side. It's through death that we enter into the victory that is beyond death. Hebrews chapter 2, verse 8, he tasted death for every person, including you and me. We talk about suffering only because suffering is the door that leads to resurrection. If there's going to be a resurrection, then there needs to be a death. I think that might be why Jesus put it on such display on the cross, he said, if I be lifted up on the cross, I will draw all men unto me. Our identification with him and his death, burial, and resurrection, we too, now, we too, get to live beyond death. We too have the capacity to live now on earth as it is in heaven. The writer of the Hebrews is saying, pay the most careful attention to Jesus. I want to make sure you guys get this. There's an urgency here. Literally, verse 1 in chapter 2 says, It is exceedingly necessary that we give heed to what we have heard. The consequence is drift. Ah, whatever. The consequence is devastation. The consequence. Consequences, destruction. And I want you to know that this isn't the only time that the writer of Hebrews mentions this. He mentions it a couple other times in the letter where he says, Pay attention. I love chapter 3, verse 1. We'll talk about it next week. Therefore, holy brethren, partakers of a heavenly calling, consider Jesus. Fix your thoughts on Jesus, whom we acknowledge as our apostle and high priest. Chapter 12, verses 1 and 2, let us run with endurance the race that is set out before us. Let us throw off everything that hinders us and the sin that so easily entangles and let's run with perseverance the race marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider Jesus. Listen to Jesus. Fix your eyes on Jesus. Stay close to Jesus. Keep Jesus in your thoughts. Learn more from Jesus every day. Learn about what Jesus is like. Learn how Jesus loved. Learn what Jesus did. Learn the way that Jesus cared. Learn about the way that Jesus sees your neighborhood and your neighbors. Walk with Jesus. It's here where we recenter. When we fix our eyes on Jesus, it's here where we drop our anchor. It's here where we re-tether our line back to Jesus. When we consider Jesus, when we fix our eyes on Jesus, when we focus on Jesus, everything else can get in the way. But when it's Jesus and only Jesus, our gaze can be shifted back from away from ourselves and away from the world and onto him. Last week, uh, my family and I were in Northern California. Uh, Dell, my older daughter, and I got invited to speak at this camp. They asked us to be the chapel speakers for a week-long camp for college kids, and we were super excited to participate. Like we were going to get to go to Santa Cruz, California. This was going to be awesome. We super pumped about it, and we talked about it. And we we're like, "Are you in?" And she's like, "Yeah, I'm in." Are you in, Dad? I'm like, "I'm in." And they assigned us to talk about uh, the Old Testament patriarch, Joseph. That was going to be the topic that they gave us that we were going to teach throughout the week on Sunday mornings. And Adele and I talked about it. We prayed about it. And when we got to camp on Sunday night, we were ready to share about it. I mean, we had it together. And then I got sick. Like, I got really sick. Like, I got so sick in the middle of the night, I started Googling the phrase, hospital near me. (laughs) I don't know, thank you for laughing. I feel so much better about your (laughs) comfort and concern for me. Like, I was so sick that I woke up my beloved and whispered the phrase that no wife wants to hear at four o'clock in the morning. Or maybe the other phrase that no wife wants to hear at four o'clock in the morning. (laughs) Babe, I need you to take me to the hospital now. And finally on Wednesday, I got released from the hospital, minus my gallbladder. Thank you. I know you guys are making up for the earlier laugh there was one and a half days of camp left. There was one chapel left. I mean, they covered up for us. They didn't even know we were gone. I mean, they didn't even know we were there because we really weren't there. Uh, The reality is they didn't need us at all, but there was one chapel time left and they said, hey, if you're still up for it, chapel tomorrow morning, Thursday morning is yours. And Adele and I huddled up. And uh, I'm not exactly sure how this conversation went down, but I I think it went down something like this dad we've got one talk left we get one talk um, she's driving and i'm sitting in the passenger seat we're going to mcdonald's to get a diet coke and we're hatching this plan and she goes dad we have one talk left we can't talk about joseph dad we have got to talk about jesus If you only get one talk left in your life, Dad, it needs to be about Jesus. And on that Thursday morning, we talked about Jesus in a way that I don't think we've ever talked about Jesus before. Do you guys know that Jesus tasted death for you? So that you could taste life. Do you know that? Do you guys know that he suffered and bled for you? And died out of his unfathomable compassion and indescribable love for you? So that you could have life abundantly and life eternally. Do you know? Do you know? Do you know Jesus? Do you know his love that is immeasurably more than you could ever ask or imagine that is at work right here, right now so that you could live in his love, so that you could love from his love? The people of the Bible wouldn't listen to all that Jesus said. And so he demonstrated his love. He showed us his love. Colossians chapter 2 puts it this way. When you were dead in your sins, in the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made you alive with Christ and he forgave us all our sins. Having canceled the charge of our legal indebtedness, which stood against us and condemned us, He's taken it away, nailing it to the cross. And having disarmed the powers and authorities, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them by the cross. Do you guys know that you are forgiven of all of it? Because of his forgiveness, you are now perfectly perfect. Perfect. Do you know his tenderness? Do you know his kindness? Do you know his beauty? Do you know his grace? Do you know? Well, slide down a little further. Verse 14 talks a little bit more about this gift that Jesus makes us his children, his own. Verse 14, Since the children have flesh and blood, he too shared in their humanity, so that by his death he might break the power of him who holds the power of death, that is the devil, and free those who all their lives were held in slavery by their fear of death. For surely it is not the angels he helps But Abraham's descendants, for this reason, he had to be made like them, fully human in every way, in order that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in service to God, and that he might make atonement for the sins of the people. Because he himself suffered when he was tempted, he is able to help those who are being tempted. Do you guys know? Jesus took on flesh and blood to break the bondage of sin forever. We're not bound by that anymore. Death can't hold us down anymore. Do you know that you don't ever have to be afraid again? Ever. Because he's with us. Because he's with us. Do you know Jesus became human, fully human in every way so that he could suffer with you in every way in order that he might become merciful to help you and me in our time of need, in the place where we are most tempted. Do you guys know Jesus? The middle verses of Hebrews 2, I think, he's talking about us. He's talking about the church. He says, In bringing many sons and daughters to glory, it was fitting that God, for whom and through whom everything exists, should make the pioneer of their salvation perfect through what he suffered. Both the one who makes people holy and those who are made holy are of the same family, so Jesus is not ashamed to call them brothers and sisters. He says, I will declare your name to my brothers and sisters. In the assembly, I will sing your praises. And again, I will put my trust in him. And again, he says, Here am I and the children that God has given me. I think that's you. I think that's me. I think that's us. I think that's the church, a group of brothers and sisters of whom there is no shame, rather a group of people who have been made holy. A little church, a little group of people to whom Jesus has entrusted his tender love, has expressed his tender love to be shared with our neighbors and our nation. Well, I'll just close here. I think this is a good place for us to stop. And I'd like to invite you to respond. I want you to respond to whatever, how, whatever you've heard, however Jesus may be leading you to respond. But I want to give you a couple of invitations. Jesus tasted death for every one of us. And today we can remember and celebrate that act through the taking of communion. Communion. It's so much more than a religious act, you know, so much more than something we do every Sunday. It's an incredibly significant occasion where we get to celebrate the brokenness of the flesh and the suffering of sin, a place where we're all reminded that suffering leads to the door of freedom, the freedom of resurrection. We can live on earth as it is in heaven. So in just a moment after I pray, I want to, Invite you, if you'd like to respond through communion, to do so. Or maybe you have found yourself in a season of suffering. Maybe it's something that didn't, you, didn't, you didn't do anything. It just, just came your way. And yet it is so painful, you don't know what to do. Next to these two communion stations here in the back, there'll be a couple of people who are already praying. And those guys would be honored to pray with you and for you in the midst of your suffering. I'd like to invite you to respond by moving toward them. Or maybe you're drifting. And maybe you've been drifting for a really long time. Can I just encourage you in this moment, To consider Jesus. Consider Jesus. And if you don't know Jesus. We'd like to tell you a little bit more about Jesus. In these next moments. So I'll pray and then we'll sing. And just want to invite you to respond. As Jesus leads you to respond. So let's pray together. Jesus. Thank you. I, we affirm your goodness and your greatness far beyond anything we can understand. But we affirm it because we've tasted of it and we've seen it. And so now I ask for each person here, just as they are in their world, whatever their, whatever's going on, whether it's affliction or suffering or stuff at work or at home, Would you, God, just minister there? Would you touch those suffering with a touch that goes right past their bodies and minds and down to the deepest places of their soul? Bring healing to whatever those places, whatever those hurts are. Be the healing presence in our lives, whatever the issue is. We are facing. And then, God, I pray you would send us forth from this gathering with blessing for our world. Let it flow from our souls. Let that blessing flow now over our little church, through everyone here, and out into the world that is so desperately in need of your touch. We pronounce it is so. May it be so, in the name of Jesus Christ, the Master and Lord of all, amen.